Welcome to Beside the Burn for Monday the 15th of March. We're at the beginning of another week and we're following on from the message on Sunday as we continue this journey through the wilderness. And on Sunday we were thinking about it being a sacrificial journey with Jesus. And we've got the two aspects of this sacrificial journey. First of all, Jesus himself offers uh, the ultimate sacrifice of his own life for our sin. But then we are to live a life of sacrifice where we give to God. And that's what we're going to be thinking about throughout the week. And today we're going to begin by concentrating on Jesus' sacrifice for us and looking specifically at Matthew 27 verses 45 to 53. So let's read together uh, and uh, let's think about all of this. And this season of Lent uh, that we're traveling through is a time whenever we remember uh, Jesus' last supper, his betrayal, his trial, his crucifixion. And for many of us, the story is I suppose a little bit too familiar. We've read it so many times, we've sung so many hymns about it, we've been to so many Easter services. And therefore, it's important to ask God to give us a fresh glimpse of what Jesus has done for us. That this week, as we go on this sacrificial journey with Jesus, we would perhaps see afresh what Jesus has done and what impact that has on our lives. Today we're going to be thinking about one of the sayings from the cross, one of the times when Jesus spoke from the cross, uh, Matthew 27, verse 46, where Jesus says, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So let's read uh, the whole passage together. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So Jesus here lets out this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that word forsaken means abandoned or deserted. It's a word that could be used to describe the wilderness experience of the nation of Israel. And they felt as though they had been forsaken by God, they'd been abandoned by him, they'd been deserted by him. And it's the wilderness that we all feel from time to time whenever we think that we have been let down by God. 
And Jesus is taking upon himself here all the laments of Israel down through the ages and indeed all the laments of God's people in the years to come as well. And he's quoting, as we've looked at in the past, Psalm 22 in this moment of deepest despair. And Psalm 22 is that psalm of lament. And Jesus, although just quoting the opening verse, is really bringing the whole psalm to the occasion and lamenting the whole experience of feeling forsaken by God. I wonder, have you ever felt forsaken or abandoned or deserted? How does it feel to know that Jesus has gone through that same experience? In fact, he has gone through the most extreme version of that experience. You see, Jesus was fully human, entirely identifying with our brokenness. But we miss the full implications of this picture if we don't remember that he was also fully God, eternally the second person in the Trinity. What must it have felt like for the everlasting relationship between Father and Son to appear to be broken, cut off, God forsaken? Theologian Tom Wright comments the following in his uh, book on Matthew's Gospel. The whole point of the cross is that there the weight of the world's evil really did converge on Jesus, blotting out the sunlight of God's love as surely as the light of day was blotted out for three hours. The sin of the many which he is bearing has for the first and only time in his experience caused a cloud to come between him and the father he loved. That's the sacrifice that Jesus was making on the cross for us, taking our sin and offering himself as a sacrifice. So this week, as we consider the sacrifice of wilderness worship, let's begin by kneeling at the cross. Here Jesus makes the ultimate once-for-all sacrifice for us. He deals with every consequence of our sin. He deals with our shame. He deals with our wilderness. So let's come before him in prayer and let's bring these things to him now. Jesus, God forsaken God, We kneel at your cross in wonder today. Perfect love, perfect sacrifice poured out for your Father's glory, for the sake of the world and and even for us. Lord, may we live in the light of your wonderful cross. May you be with us today. May we realise the enormity of the sacrifice that you have made. And Lord, may that change the way that we live our lives. Realising that if you have given everything for us, then nothing is too much for you to ask of us. So Lord, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Tuesday the 16th of March. We're continuing our journey through the wilderness. This week it's a sacrificial journey with Jesus 
And today, as we come to Hebrews 13, we're going to look at some of the different kinds of sacrifice uh, that can be brought to God. And I wonder, have you ever thought about what is it that makes us right with God? How do we become right in God's sight? How do we become righteous? Is it by doing good deeds? Is it by doing the right thing, obeying God's commands, doing whatever God would want us to do on a particular occasion? I suppose being sacrificial in our life and uh, and giving or, or performing the, the right religious ceremonies, being at church, singing the hymns, doing all those things. Are those the things that please God and make us right with God? Today we're going to be reading from Hebrews 13 and whoever wrote that letter to the Hebrews is at pains to point out that there is only one thing that makes us right with God. It is only Jesus' sacrifice that can make us right with God. Yesterday uh, reminded us that on the cross Jesus took the full God forsakenness that separates us from God. And our salvation then is a free gift. It's prepaid. There's no strings attached. Jesus freely offers it to us. The sin in our lives separates us from God. The sin in our lives stops us having the right relationship with God. And Jesus came and took that sin upon himself. And in that moment on the cross, as he cried out, why have you forsaken me? Our sin separated him from his father. So what does sacrifice mean for us as Christians? Can we really come to God and and offer him a sacrifice that is pleasing? Is there any point if the only sacrifice that makes us right with God is a sacrifice of Jesus, then why would we even bother with sacrifice? Well, perhaps this famous quote from C.S. Lewis, uh, which we find in mere Christianity, uh, helps to explain a little bit of of what the situation is. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, It is like a small child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me sixpence to buy you a birthday present. Now, of course, the father does, and he is pleased with the child's present. It's all very nice and proper, but only an idiot would think that the father is sixpence to the good on the transaction. Do you see what's happening here? The child wants to give his father something. He doesn't actually have anything, so he needs some money to go and buy the present. Who can he get the money from? He gets the money from his father, so he asks for the sixpence Off he goes, buys the present and brings it back. And the father's delighted with the present that the child brings. But it came from the father in the first place. The father gave the sixpence to the child. But the child could have gone off and done anything that he wanted with the sixpence. The child could have gone and bought sweets. But instead he chooses to buy the present and he brings it back and presents it to the father. And we are the children in the same position. Any gift that we give back to God, any sacrifice that we make to him is only made possible by the grace of God in the first place. 
In Hebrews 13, these verses that we're going to read, the writer shows us how we can respond to the grace of God. Our own sacrifices, which we are encouraged to bring, are not in order to make ourselves holy and to make ourselves right with God. But instead, these sacrifices that we bring are a grateful response to what Christ has already done for us. So let's read Hebrews 13. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. What is a, a right response to offer for this gift of life that God has given to us? Well, firstly, we're told here that we are to offer a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise is what we are to offer to God. And as we bring that sacrifice of praise to God, we are to have the, the sacrifice of praise brings the, the fruit of lips that confess his name. We are to worship God with our lips. We're to praise him. We're to honour him. We're able to praise God. We're able to proclaim who he is, what he's done for us, bringing glory to him by testifying about him. And here perhaps we might sit back and stop reading and we might say, well, that's great. That's what I do. Whenever church is open, I go to church. I worship at home. At the moment, I praise God and my lips are honouring him and saying of all the wonderful things that he's done. So therefore, I've offered the sacrifice. My sacrifice to God is complete. But the writer of the Hebrew says, not so quick. Hold on a moment. There's more to come in this next verse. And he begins with this word, and. And there's something else that you need to do, as well as offering the sacrifice of praise. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So here are the two sacrifices, a sacrifice of praise, but also a sacrifice of doing good and sharing with others. And with these sacrifices, God is pleased. Turns out that the sacrifice which we are to offer as a grateful response is twofold. It's praise and it's also good deeds. Now, these two sacrifices that we offer, 
don't do anything about our sin. They can't get rid of our sin. They can't make us more attractive to God. They can't uh, sort out our problems. But they are a response to Jesus dealing with our sin. And they're twofold. It's not just enough to praise God. We've also got to share and to do good. So today we need to spend a little bit of time thinking about Christ's sacrifice for us. And then thinking about the sacrifice that we make for him. So let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, offering himself for our sins so that we might have eternal life. Therefore, Lord, as we come to you offering you a sacrifice, we are like that child asking for the money to go and buy you a present. Anything we have, Lord, has already come from your hand. We offer it to you, Lord, not to try to earn our salvation, but instead we offer it as a thanksgiving for our salvation. We offer it in response to what you have done for us. So, Lord, be with us, we pray, and help us this day to continually offer sacrifice to you for you have offered your ultimate sacrifice for us. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Wednesday, the 17th of March, 2021. Today is St. Patrick's Day, and so we celebrate uh, the legacy that we have on this island of Patrick coming with the gospel, with the good news, uh, and sharing it here, and uh, all that that has meant to us. And today we're continuing this journey in the wilderness, a sacrificial journey with Jesus. And we're going to be thinking about moving from sorrow to sacrifice and uh, Matthew uh, 14 uh, in particular. Wonder how you respond whenever you are under intense pressure. If we think about Patrick, Patrick was under pressure when he was taken from home and brought here as a captive. And yet whenever he escaped and managed to, to get back home again, he then decided under that pressure to come back again and to bring the gospel and to share the gospel on this island. But what about us? How do we respond whenever we're under pressure? Do we try to forget about the stress, maybe using outward things? We, we fill our time with leisure activities or with shopping or with food or a film or television or music? Or do we close ourselves off, hide away and keep ourselves to ourselves? Jesus experienced many stressful events in his short life, but the death of John the Baptist must have hit him especially hard. John, after all, was his cousin and his friend. Perhaps John was the only person who understood him. And here in this passage, we're going to find that Jesus discovers that John is gone. The brutal fashion in which John's life has been cut short must have given Jesus pause for thought as well uh, about the, maybe the likely outcome of his own ministry. Because Herod had chopped off John's head on a whim. It was just a party and this was what he was asked for and Herod did it. And if Herod was capable of that, then what would he be capable of for Jesus? 
And Jesus' response to this tragic event was to take himself away by a boat, somewhere to grieve in, in private. He went into the wilderness in this sorrowful state. But even how, even there, he wasn't alone. A large crowd had worked out where he was going and they followed him on foot and they didn't give him the, the time that he required on his own. And they came to him with needs. And what we're going to discover is that Jesus, although wanting time alone and although needing that time alone, sacrificed himself to care for these people. And to look after them. So let's read together from Matthew 14. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. It's a grisly end to such a great man's ministry. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So here we have Jesus having compassion on the crowd, even though he wanted to be on his own. And he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So instead of telling the people to go away or picking up his own oars and rowing away and, and leaving them, after all, he hadn't invited them to come. They'd simply showed up and almost ambushed him whenever he arrived. Jesus had compassion on them, healed those who were ill. He then stayed with the crowd until it was late and miraculously fed the thousands of people there with one boy's small lunch. Jesus is an inspiration of sacrificial giving here. Even in the midst of his own private sorrow, he had compassion on those who are suffering and keeps on giving of himself. Now, we need to be careful here. We are not Jesus. God knows our limits. We need to be wise and not keep giving of ourselves until we're burnt out. It's a false belief that the responsibility for the salvation of the world somehow rests on our shoulders. It doesn't. 
The only saviour of the world is Jesus Christ. But we can draw great comfort from how Jesus partners with his disciples in this story. It was Jesus who made the greatest sacrifice here. He desired the solitude to be in his own degree for his cousin. So he's missing out on that solitude. He's healing and teaching and, and feeding the people until it's late. But someone else also brought their own sacrifice here. It wasn't a very big sacrifice in the overall scheme of things, but this young boy had a lunch with him. It would feed him, but he decided that he would sacrifice it to Jesus in these circumstances. And when he gave it to Jesus, it may have meant that he would have had no food for the day. He didn't know what Jesus was going to do. So he was making a sacrifice of going without for the rest of the day. Whoever offered it to Jesus had no way of knowing what was going to happen. But the small sacrifice led to a great act of kindness and generosity. The feeding of thousands of hungry people. And today the challenge is for us, will we dare to bring a sacrifice to Jesus? Even a small sacrifice, will we bring it to Jesus and trust him to do something great with it? If we keep it to ourselves, we'll never know what he was going to do with it. But if we make that sacrifice and present it to Jesus, if we go without then what can Jesus do? Let's pray and uh, here's a prayer that we can pray together today. Jesus, I feel I have so little in the face of the world's needs. So little time, resources, compassion and energy. There are times when I am overwhelmed by my emotions and with the needs around me. But you have all the resources compassion and energy. Help me to bring my bread and fish, my small contribution, trusting you will multiply it and use it for your glory. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Thursday the 18th of March. As this uh, week continues, we're following our journey in the wilderness with Jesus and the sacrificial journey with Jesus. And today we're thinking about simple acts of kindness that we can make. We've been following through this week the sacrifice that Jesus made, the ultimate sacrifice of himself, and then seeing how the sacrifices that we make are in response to what Jesus has done for us. They're not to replace his sacrifice. Indeed, they can't replace his sacrifice but they are to be in response to what Jesus has done. I remember uh, as a teenager the number of times that we sat down and we had these discussions about what was more important, our faith in God 
or our deeds. Faith or deeds. Deeds or faith. Which one should be more prominent? And that's what we're looking at today from James chapter 2. Because there are those who would tell you that all you need is faith. If you trust in Jesus, then that's enough. But we've already looked at that passage from Hebrews where there was an and after the uh, offering a sacrifice of praise. And the and was to do good deeds to God. So that's what we're looking at today. And especially we're going to look at verse 17 of James chapter 2. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So these last couple of days, we've emphasized our calling not just to talk about our faith, but to actually live it out in physical, sacrificial ways. And Hebrews 13, 16 told us to remember to do good to others. And in the story in Matthew 14, we took encouragement from those small acts of goodness that can then be multiplied in the hands of Jesus. We bring Jesus something small, he multiplies it and makes it a miracle. So today, why not spend some time asking God if he would show us what it is we're to offer to him. That he would then take our offering and use it in a huge way in the world. Perhaps we'll receive a clear answer from God. A situation might just immediately pop to mind and you know exactly what God wants you to do. Or maybe there's already someone or something around you that you've been concerned about lately and today is now the time to act upon it and do something about it. A lonely person who would appreciate a phone call or some time. Uh, rubbish which needs picked up in the, in the local park or uh, an, a new mum or an elderly relative who would appreciate a hot meal delivered to them. Whatever it is, there are simple little acts of sacrifice that could make all the difference in the world today. So let's read from James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? And there are those two things linked together. What good is that? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That is a strong word that's used there at the end of these verses. Dead without action. But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The two go hand in hand. It's very spiritual to say I've got faith. I don't need to do anything else. I'm trusting in Christ alone. That's enough. And it's a fallacy to go and to say, well, look, I'm doing good things. I don't need the faith. I just do the good things. I'm helping other people. That's enough. But James here is making it very clear that the two have to go together. We need the trust in Jesus and we then need the sacrifice of the good deeds. So let's not be caught on one side or the other, but let's make sure that we are involved in doing both 
together. So let's bow together in prayer and ask Jesus to show us and to help us. Heavenly Father, today we pray that you would show us the good deeds that we can do for you. Lord, even now as we bow our heads and have our eyes closed, just bring into our minds who you want us to serve and how you want us to act sacrificially. Lord, we don't do this as a way to earn your good pleasure. But Lord, we do it in response to the sacrifice that you have made for us. Lord Jesus, you went to the cross and took our sin and suffered and died for us. And today, Lord, we trust in that transaction and we trust in your righteousness. And therefore, we bring our sacrifice, recognizing, Lord, that anything that we give to you has already come from your hand and we are simply returning it. But Lord, help us today, we pray, to honor you with the way that we live our lives and that faith and deeds would work together. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Welcome to Beside the Burn for Friday the 19th of March. We come to the end of another week and the end of another section of our journey of Lent through the wilderness. This week has all been about sacrifice, a sacrificial journey with Jesus, seeing how Jesus has sacrificed for us and how we then respond with our own sacrifices as part of that service. And today we're going to think primarily about fragrant sacrifices. The whole point of a sacrifice, whenever it was burnt, was that there would be a pleasing aroma that would go up to God and God would smell that aroma and be pleased with the sacrifice that was offered. But what we're going to realise today is that it is possible to offer a sacrifice and for the smell not to be pleasing, but to be a real stink. In his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul expresses thanks for the gifts that the church has already sent him. And he describes those gifts as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice which is pleasing to God. So let's read Philippians 4, and we're going to read verses 10 to 20, and see how the church, in giving to Paul, are offering a fragrant sacrifice that's pleasing to God. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Let's just pause for a moment on that particular verse 13 because that's an important verse that often we take and and we bring before God in prayer and we remember it and many people have that verse maybe on a fridge magnet or on a picture 
reminding them of what God can do, that we can do everything through him who gives us strength. So therefore, this is not a a, a verse that, to be taken out of context. It's not a verse where we say, well, look, I can do anything. All I've got to do is ask God and anything is possible. This is a verse that reminds us that whatever God asks us to do, we're able to do because he gives us the strength to do it. We're not able to do whatever we want it's what God wants. And it's all about this contentment. But it's all wrapped up in this idea that Paul is saying, thank you for being concerned and thank you for sending your gifts to me. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Paul here is trying to make it clear, look, this is not my way of trying to twist your arm into sending me more. You've sent your gift and it is more than sufficient. I have been supplied in every way, but I want you to realise the important part that you are playing. So whenever we give to God and whenever we give to God's servants, we are involved in this transaction of making a sacrifice, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And that is what is important in our ministry and our service to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. So the Philippians have sent this gift to Paul and Paul is returning thanks and saying to them, you know what, that's a sacrifice and that sacrifice pleases God. But the opposite can also be true. We can bring a sacrifice, it may not be a true sacrifice, but we can bring something and present it as if it's a sacrifice but it may not be pleasing to God. And in that case, it doesn't have a pleasing aroma. In fact, it's a real stink. It's a stench in the nostrils of God because it doesn't please him and it does more harm than good. That's what we read of in Amos chapter 5. Because in Amos chapter 5, God says to the people through the prophet, I hate that's a strong word, isn't it? I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. So God is saying to the people, look, whenever you get together and do religious things, I hate it. I despise it. I can't stand it whenever you come together. It's horrible. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and green offerings, I will not accept them. These are the sacrifices that God would ask the people to bring and they are bringing them, but there's something has gone wrong in all of this. God says, I'm not going to accept it. 
Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I'll not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is getting to the heart of what worship is truly about. That we are to offer to God things that are pleasing to him, not things that are pleasing to us. Our sacrifice should suit God, not us. And it's very important that we think this through. And a number of people have said over this past year, is this God asking us to take a break from our worship? So that we rethink the way that we approach God. So that we rethink the way that we bring to God and offer to him. That we don't just go back to the way that we did things, but we think carefully, is this pleasing to God? Is this what God wants? Is this the way that I should be treating God? And God says, you have no regard for these false offerings. Away with the noise of your songs. And here's the important thing. Let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. So let's think about what we offer God. Let's think about the sacrifices that we make to him. Are they pleasing? Are they a beautiful aroma, a fragrant sacrifice to God, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to him? And let's ask him to show us the difference so that we only offer him what is worthy of his name. Let's bow before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with our sacrifice. And Lord, we pray that we would never get to the position that the things we offer you displease you. Help us, Lord, to get back to what worship is all about. That as we offer you, you would be pleased. And that it would please you in this world to take our offering and use us in your service. Lord, help us never to do these things selfishly. Show us clearly, Lord, where we've gone wrong. And help us, Lord, not to uh, misuse this past year where we've had time for reflection. That as we come back to gathering again, we pray, Lord, that you would be pleased with our assemblies. I'm pleased with what we do in your name. Amen.